Well, saints, it's so good to be together. Uh, I surely echo uh, Brother Simpson's fellowship this morning that we are so blessed to have this secret weapon, huh? The European Young People's Conference, going now for 23 years, uh, year after year, uh, something really taking place. And uh, it was around 2014 that we began to have a parents' section. Um, so 14, 15, 16, 17, this is the fifth time <laughs> that we've had a, a, a specific time with the parents. Is my mic on? Just keep going. Okay. And let me tell you a little bit about the history. I think this will be helpful. Uh, in the early years when I began to come to the Poland Conference, and just to let you know, I, I began coming in 2003, and really by the Lord's mercy, I haven't missed one year yet. Every summer, uh, I get to come back, and it's such a, such a joy to me. Um, this week is definitely a highlight. Uh, but the burden was this. As we began to come to this conference and realize that the Lord is gathering together the young people from all over Europe, uh, we saw the strategic nature of this kind of gathering. And it began, we began to change the way we spoke to young people. I can testify to you the way that I speak to the young people here in Europe is way different than I ever spoke to the young people in, the, in America. And the receiving was considerably, was significant. We realized they get it. They see it. We understood that before the Lord comes back, there has to be a very prevailing testimony for the Lord in Europe. In every major city, there has to be a lampstand. There, there, it has to be. The Lord will not allow Antichrist to gain the victory. He's going to come here and establish his kingdom here. But before he does, we have to get in first. And we're burdened for this. And when, when we came and saw this gathering, we thought, my, this is very strategic that we could begin to have this kind of influence on the young generation. And so we began to infuse them. You know, 2003, 2004, all the way up till now, this is my 16th conference. And uh, we were speaking to these young people like they were adults. I mean, we did not hold anything back. Uh, we really treated them like, like they were adults. And they are. In many respects, there are real brothers and sisters in Christ. So we didn't talk down to them. We didn't uh, try to uh, uh, just make them feel good or make them happy. We spoke faithfully and directly to them, telling them that, that the Lord's recovery in Europe is hinging on them. They are the future. And what the Lord's recovery will be, will be determined by what they will become. 
We put a lot of responsibility on them. We entrusted them with a commission. And over the years, they've been picking this up. After a few years, we then began to establish the Winter Schools of Truth so that we could constitute them not only with the one week in the summer with Poland, but now in the winter, another time to take them through the Truth School materials. So we started in London, and after six or seven years, we expanded to the Netherlands so that we would have one on the continent, a big advance. Right now, that one is the biggest one, over 200 young people coming together in the Netherlands. And the dates are the same. I hope you parents will pay close attention to this. It's always December 26 to December 31, between Christmas and New Year. Six days, and we infuse them again with the truth and with the exper- in an experiential way. Then uh, we expanded to Spain for the Iberian Peninsula. We had a third winter school, all happening at the same time. It's really, really awesome. And probably by next winter, not this coming one, not 18, but 2019, we will probably, I expect, to have one in Germany for uh, German-speaking, maybe Polish-speaking, uh, Romanian, maybe. We'll get the neighbors, you know, the close neighbors to Germany. And uh, the Netherlands will have the French-speaking, Italian, and uh, Dutch. It's hard, you know, with so many languages. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, we're all speaking the language of Judah. Amen. When we come together, there's no language problem here. We all know what we're saying. Um, Well, as the time went on, the brothers, you know, more and more parents were coming, and especially parents from Poland. You know, they were coming. You know, there's always about 50 or 60 uh, saints from Poland that come but don't register. They just, you know, they call up the houses and they get their own rooms and they come. That's wonderful. We don't care. They take their holiday and so they sit in on the meetings and, They enjoy what we're enjoying. And uh, so the brothers were asking, could I have some fellowship with these parents while I'm here? So in addition to doing the morning serving one's time and the evening messages, I was also doing afternoon messages to the parents. And eventually we thought we did two two during the week. We did that for a number of years. And then finally he said, okay, let's just have a parent section. Let's... Let's do it that way. So uh, a few years ago, we began to have a dedicated section for the parents. But I have to tell you, our, our burden initially, uh, from the start, has been that we would, you'll, you'll notice in your book that the general subject is raising up the next generation for the church life. And that's the general, that's the title of the book. I don't know if you've seen the book, the green book. Do you have it with you? I hope you all would get this book, even if you can't. Oh, you didn't bring it? Okay. He had it this morning. Uh, We'll bring one and show it to you. Oh, yeah, there you go. This one. Uh, Raising Up the Next Generation for the Church Life. This was a, a compilation of a lot of fellowship given by Brother Nee and Brother Lee, uh, all published in the ministry concerning the work with the children and the young people. 
And in that book, there's a section uh, for the parents, a little section for the serving ones related to our person, as our brother shared this morning. And then there's a section on the children's work and the young people's work. And a good conclusion on producing beings of the new Jerusalem, uh, which is our goal. And so we began to, we started at the beginning, and every year we have at least one message that's dedicated to the burden for the parents. And that's what we had this morning, Brother Simpson, on the message, the person living and responsibility of the parents. And then we began to go through the children's section, and we also added in some additional material, some additional outlines that are not in the book we released. And they are now all on the website. Uh, If you really have a burden to get into this vision concerning the children's work, you have to go back to the website, ypconference.eu. It's the the website where you registered, and you go up to the top, and you drop down links, and you find parents' conferences, and you'll see from 2014 until the present, there are all the messages are there. And the videos are there from, I think, uh, 2015 until now. There are videos, if that helps, Um, just so you know. Now, we plan to just go through this book. So now, by this time, we are in the section related to the young people's work. And we began that last summer. And we'll continue that probably for one or two two more years. I'm very happy that the brothers... In addition to these messages, the brothers are having these workshops and these optional times. I hope if you are here with your children that you will really take advantage of those. They are really good to help you learn how to have a family altar, how to have a time with your children with the word and interact with them. And uh, the brothers are very good in, in helping us have a start in this kind of way. So, I know that I'm speaking to an audience primarily of parents. And the message tonight was a message given by Brother Lee. Tonight and tomorrow is a a message given by Brother Lee to a group of serving ones. And it was given at a time in Taiwan, 1963... When the church in Taiwan was struggling and suffering through a kind of turmoil that was stirred up by a a group of young serving brothers that were brought to the Lord and trained by Brother Lee, and they began to undermine him. And uh, they were very much under the influence of T. Austin Sparks, who liked to give messages, who wanted to establish a ministry station and was not at all burdened for the building up of the church. The local ground was not something he uh, uh, saw or approved of. And so these brothers came under his influence, and they felt his spirituality and his high kind of messages. They like to do that. They like to be like that. And so this affected. These young brothers were the ones that were caring for the campus work, what we would call today the young people's work and the children's work. And so in 1965, by the time this turmoil was cleared up, 
It had been going on for seven or eight years in Taipei and Taiwan and was devastating the church. Uh, but it came to an end in 1965 when they finally left to pursue their own way. Well, this left a big hole, and many, many of the young generation were completely gone. The situation was very uh, disappointing. In the 50s, the number in Taipei had grown to thousands and thousands, but by the time this turmoil was over, it had been reduced quite a bit. Very discouraging situation. Well, it was during this time that a lot of Brother Lee's fellowship concerning the work with the children and the young people was released. We feel this is very strategic because he was encouraging the church to direct their attention to the young generation. When you're going to rebuild, you're going to rebuild the church, rebuild the testimony what do you focus on? Of course, you could preach the gospel. You can go out and, and gain materials. But he really was burdened that they would direct a lot of their attention to the young people. Well, it was right in the middle, or towards the end of this turmoil, that Brother Lee gave a word. I, uh, putting this together, this kind of fellowship at that time, is so uh, interesting to me. And very helpful to understand why he did what he did and why he spoke what he spoke. This message is published in a book called How to Lead the Young People. I think this is out in many languages and should be easy to uh, access. For sure, you can get it you know, online in English. Uh, How to Lead the Young People. Half of this message uh, was given by Brother Lee to impress them that the future of the Lord's recovery rests entirely on the young people. And it was here that he began to speak so much about turning the age, that the Lord always goes to the young people when he wants to do something new and when he is about to turn the age. Um, One night, I don't know how long ago it was, uh, I like to walk and converse with the Lord while I'm walking. And I was going out in the evenings. It was dark. I was walking. I was just opening to the Lord. Uh, and then some of the sentences from this booklet began to come. One of the lines was, If the Lord delays his coming back for 5, 10, 15, or 20 years, this commission will have to be entrusted to the young people. I thought, wow. And this, I said already, whenever the Lord wants to change the age, he always goes to the young people. I was feeling, oh, the weight, this burden. We have to get young people. We have to raise up young people. We have to raise up another generation. You know, the Lord called us when I I was young. I was called by the Lord. I was gained by him as a teenager. And I moved to Los Angeles and I got into the church life and I was surrounded by a a whole bunch of young brothers. They're all now these co-workers, you know, giving the messages and things. 
And we were there. We were there together. And we were the, the men who were going to turn the age. We were the young people at that time. And then all of a sudden, you blinked once, twice. And all of a sudden, I'm 60 years old. I thought, what happened? What happened to the time? You know, I raised a family. I, I have kids. I had a business. I, you know, so many things happened. And then I realized, oh, we can't just be on ourselves. The Lord needs another one, another group. He needs another group of young people. It doesn't stop with us. It has to continue. I certainly hope that I will be alive when the Lord comes. I kind of expect that, but I don't know. So I have to, I have to labor in a way, not, not just me, but to prepare another generation with the lessons that we've learned giving them shortcuts. You know, in a fellowship that Brother Nee gave during the resumption of Watchman Nee's ministry, he was talking about the leading in the body, the leading in the body cutting short someone's journey. He said, you might stumble around for 10 years trying to find an answer, how to overcome this, how to break through that, how to solve this kind of problem. And we're like that. We're groping. A lot of times we're just groping. He said, but in one evening of fellowship, you can get through. He said, the purpose of this kind of leading in the body is to cut down mistakes and to shorten our journey. Isn't that good? You know what that means? That means if if the Lord could raise us up and we could infuse these young people We could cut short their journey. We could reduce their mistakes. The first generation that crossed into the good, you know, into uh, the wilderness out of Egypt, they made a lot of mistakes and they had a lot of problems and they didn't make it into the good land. But Joshua and Caleb was there and they rose up with another spirit. And that's us. That's us. And we're passing on to the young generation the things we learned so that we can cut their journey short and we can reduce their mistakes. Oh, it seems it takes too long to be perfected. There's not, it, it, can it happen in one generation? Can, can the bride be prepared with a few of us that have been around for 30 years, 40 years? No, it seems too slow. Our progress is too slow. So we have to raise up another generation. We have to. We have to prepare for the Lord. A people made ready. So this is our burden, is that every summer we're going to release these kind of messages that really is to help the serving ones. And since this morning we found out that all the parents are the best serving ones, then you must be the best audience for this kind of message. Okay? But I have to warn you, the content of this kind of fellowship, and I I hope I can remember to make, make an impression, some of this is not for parents in their relationship with the children as much as it is for serving saints in their relationship with the young people. You understand? 
the way I relate to your children is going to be a lot different than the way you relate to your children. You're the parents, so you are the gatekeepers. You're the ones that decide all those kind of problems, those things, when to go to bed, when to get up, who's your friends, who you can hang out with, all those kind of things. Not me. That's not my job. And if I try to do that, then that's terrible. But I can love them. I can speak to them. I can care for them. I can pour out on them. That's my job. So you have to be the parent to your children, but you don't have to be the parent to the other's children. Right? So I hope you would pick up a burden for the other's children. Amen. Okay, so let's start to go through this outline. How to lead the young people, number one. We have two on this. Uh, as bro- I, I was telling you, the first half of this, Brother Lee is talking about the Lord turning the age. The second half of this message, he gives us six practical points, very like principles, on how to care for the young people. And so we'll cover three tonight, and we'll cover three tomorrow morning. All right? Uh, if you've read this booklet, you, you know what, what I'm talking about. But I could tell you this, that you need to read it about 20 times. Because every time you read it, it's like the Bible. I mean, you get more and more light every time. I hope that tonight we could get some more light. Amen? Okay. Brother Lee said, he traveled around. I have this experience too. You travel around and you come to a local church and the older generation sometimes have some things to say. They want me to, please, give a message to the young people. They're not so proper in this way. Can you adjust them? They don't uh, dress properly or they have relationships that need to be dealt with. Can you give them a word And uh, Brother Lee said this. He had these once in their 40s and their 50s would come to him and complain to him about the young people not being proper. That they, uh, when they see the saints on the street, they ignore them. Or when they're in the meeting hall, they just stare at them and don't greet them. And then others complained. They don't obey the older generation. You need to give them a word about respecting the older generation and obeying them. And... uh, Finally, he said, okay, I need to give you a message. I need to give you a message. If the young people were so good, there's no more need for you. Your job is over. So he said, no, you have to take care of them. You have to raise them up and take care of them. And then he said this. The first thing, the very first thing, if you want to help the young people, we mu- if we want to help the young people, we must have an interest in them. An interest. I love his choice of words. You're interested in them. Do not find their faults at first. If you do, you cannot help them. You know, we've got a couple of verses on here. Luke 9.55 is the case of when James and John were with the Lord Jesus. 
and they had just passed through Samaria, I think it was, and they didn't get hospitality. He wanted them to keep, keep them. And James and John were provoked. And they said, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and consume them like Elijah did? The Lord said, oh, you don't know what kind of spirit you are. He didn't say what kind of spirit you have. He said, you don't know what kind of spirit you are. That's like this morning, our person. This this kind of spirit has taken over your whole being. Calling down fire on people? Then he said, I did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. You know, in so many years serving the young people, that word, you do do not know what kind of spirit you are, has come to me again and again and again. Probably, of all the words, this came to me. My attitude, my way, my anger, my spirit was wrong. One night I was sitting on my chair. We used to have the young people's meetings in my house. And like a lot of men, I have my chair. You know, it's my, you know, you know. Don't, don't you have your chair? Yeah, you have your chair. It's, it's your chair. And, and they all know that's my chair. And so I sit in my chair. And so I'm, the meeting was, the young people were starting to gather. And I was sitting there in my chair waiting for them to come in. And they were sitting all in the couches and around like this. And before anyone else arrived, two young brothers came in. And they sat on the couch right next to each other. And they were giggling and laughing and uh, talking to each other. And it sounded wrong. It sounded kind of bad. So I was suspicious. You know, I had my antennae up. And, and then the third one came in. And he sat with them. And then they started laughing and talking. Did you know what we did? You know what we... They had just come from the movies, okay? Uh, they had just come from the movies. And the two were boasting to the third how they had snuck into another kind of movie. Their parent gave them money and to go to one kind of movie, and they went to another kind of movie. And, you know, I'm sitting there, and I'm watching this, and I'm listening to them. Oh, there was smoke coming out, you know? I was so... I don't know what. Bothered at the parents. What are you thinking? Sending your kids to the movies with money. And, and then the kids are there laughing and boasting. And the other one's going, oh, man, I wish I would have went, went, went with you. And So I had to speak that night to the young people. So, oh, I was already defiled. I mean, you know. There's no way I'm going to open my mouth to the young people without fire and brimstone coming out, you know. So, uh, I, I don't know if you ever served young people. You know, I, the, the, the dear serving ones are dealing with this every day over there. I don't know if you realize this. Um, so I had to take a walk. So I left the meeting. I went out, went around the, the block, calling on the Lord and touching the Lord. And I got through. 
I got through. But I realized how easy it is to become provoked by a little thing. How they dress, how they behave themselves, how they speak. All these kinds of things cause us to become provoked within. He said, if you want to help the young people, we must first have an interest in them. Do not find their faults at first. If you do, you cannot help them. Remember this word. You do not know what kind of spirit you are. I just can't tell you how many times that word came to me. And then there's this verse in Matthew 18. This verse is uh, uh, also there, Matthew 18.10. It says this. Let me read it to you. Sorry, I don't, I don't want to. Maybe I do want to scare you a little bit, but anyway. <laughs> See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in the heavens continually behold the face of my Father who's in the heavens. I thought, my do not see that you do not despise one of these little ones. You know, all these ones down the, down the street, in the two tents, not just the little tent, not just the junior tent, but even the senior tent, they're all little ones. They're just young people. They're passing through maybe the most difficult few years of their life. But we don't despise them. We have to deal with our heart. Right away, our heart needs to be touched, needs to be dealt with. If we're going to be a factor of raising them up, this part has to be touched. Point one says, some have a special liking for the young people whom they consider good, but they purse their mouths and shake their heads when they see those whom they think are not good. This is wrong. Oftentimes, God will prove to us that our evaluation of those whom we think are good is inaccurate. Instead, those whom you consider not good may be greatly used by God. Uh, I guess I can say as a testimony that I've been doing this kind of work with young people long enough to realize that some that I considered not so good, became very good. And some of the ones that I thought was very good are now not that good. So right now is not the time to draw any conclusions. Now's the time for us to pour out love and care for them. Point B. Regardless of whether the young people are good or bad, we need to treat everyone the same. And we need to like them and be concerned for them. I love this utterance. You need to like them. Say, oh, yeah, we love the young people. No, no, no. I, I know you love them, but do you like them? <laughs> you might not like them the way they dress, or the way they act, the way they hold their face, the way they sit in the meeting. Oh, sometimes I would just get so irritated the way they sat in the meetings. We had a young people's conference in Southern California many years ago, and we were in this tight little room, 
but we are crammed in there. It was a high school brothers conference. And um, there was one locality that came in, and they kind of came in late, and they, they were all sitting in the back row. And one of them had these really big sunglasses on and a hat pulled down, and he was, had his chair leaned back against the, the wall. And I wasn't speaking that night, uh, but the brother who was, he's, he's looking out there, and he sees this, this kid there, you know, with his sunglasses on, his hat, and he's just probably sleeping. And, ooh, <laughs> I, I'm going to get him, you know. We're going to ban him or we're going to do something. The brother, after the message, he said, man, I was, I was ready to go home, you know. I felt so bad. These young people, these young people, we're not bothered. You have to like them. Think about that. Do you like the young people in your locality? Do you know their names? Do you greet them? Do you converse with them? You know, one sister said, yeah, I said you know, first of all, I, I shared something how, you know, I was, I was an elder in the church in Irvine, and so I was pretty, pretty high profile, and so... I'd see the young people, and I'd, I'd, I'd greet them. I'd stop, and I'd greet them, and they'd kind of look up at me. and <laughs> Like that. And uh, they were scared of me. <laughs> I don't like the young people to be scared of me. Well, one sister, after I shared that, she said, well, I'm scared of them too. <laughs> so the feelings are mutual. <laughs> We're scared of them, and they're scared of us. Brother Lee said we have to like them. So I'd like to challenge you. And be concerned for them. Then he said, play a game with them, and then talk to them about the Lord Jesus when the game is over. This is genuine capability. However, if you cannot talk to them about the Lord Jesus because he is gone after you play ball then your spirituality is false. In other words, come down to their level and engage them in something they enjoy. You may not. That's not your thing. You want to maybe talk some spiritual thing, you know. Did you read the Bible today? Did you pray? Play ball. Okay. After you play ball, you've earned a little credit. Now you can... Find out what's going on in their life. You know, is at this point, and I think this is a famous section of this booklet, where Brother Lee said this. He said, suppose you're walking on the street and you come across a young brother and you say, where are you going? And he says, well, I'm going to the movies because I'm bored. I have nothing to do. He said, if you show him a long face or you rebuke him, this will damage him. But if, on the other hand, you walk with him and you talk with him, maybe you even hire a taxi and go with him. Oh, you think, oh, this is contributing to the delinquency of a minor. You know, you're, 
you're taking him to the movies. Well, he's going to the movies anyway. You might as well go along, not go in. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Yeah, one time I said, oh, yeah, praise the Lord. Brother Lee said we could go to the movies with the young people. No, no, no. What? He said, you go with them, and you're talking. And then you get there, and you say, well, here, I'll, I'll take care of the taxi. You go, you go ahead. But when the movie's over, I'll be here. Ten minutes before it's over, I'll be here with you so we can go home. He said, don't you think you could gain the young people like this? This is to be interested in them. You're interested in them, not in their conduct. You're, it's them. But he said, if you're, he said, I'm afraid you might be like a lawyer, like one of the scribes. And, oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Showing them a long face. He said, you, you could damage them. He said, they might not be delivered from their movies for their whole life because of you. You're provoking them. I thought, my, that is so serious. Think about that for a minute. If you don't believe me, let me read it to you. (laughs) After being condemned by you, he may not be able to be delivered from from movies for the rest of his life. He He will not be able to live without watching movies. His going to the movies for the rest of his life will be due to your provoking. Do you think that I'm talking nonsense? I know what I'm talking about. Saints, do you know, do you understand, do you know why that is? You know, when I read that, I, of course I've read, I, I don't know how many times I read this, but I thought about this. What's, what's happening here? What makes that happen? We know it's true. It's because they respect you. They look up to you. They want to please you. And it sets in motion a kind of law of sin and death. So he said, we have to be careful not to damage the young people. Brothers and sisters, we cannot afford to damage one of these precious vessels. The Lord needs every one of them. Point D, oh, wait, wait, I didn't read C. Point C, if we want to help the young people, we need to be interested in them. Do not be concerned about their mistakes and do not condemn them at all. The reference here is Luke 24, 13 to 35. Again, tonight, most of this message is going to be on this point. So don't worry about the outline. Actually, the outline is not too long. I'm not concerned about that. Luke 24 is after the Lord died on the cross and resurrected. There were two disciples, and they were on the road to Emmaus, and they were going downhill. They were very discouraged. They were sad, feeling that all is lost. We thought the Lord was going to raise up the kingdom. The Messiah had come. We expected the Romans to be cast out the kingdom of Israel would be restored and they're walking along and it says that the Lord joined himself to them it's like out of nowhere all of a sudden he's walking with them and they're going down and he's going down with them it doesn't bother him to go down 
when he's walking with them down. And he says to them, what are these things that you're talking about while you're walking on the way? And it says they stopped looking sad. I don't know what that is. What are these words? This is verse 17 from chapter 20. What are these words which you are exchanging with one another while you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. Have you ever been with young people when they're looking sad? Yeah, it happens. Uh, And one of them, Cleopas by name, answered and said to him, Do you alone dwell as a stranger in Jerusalem and not know the things which have taken place in it in these days? (laughs) I mean, it was him that got nailed to the cross. I mean, he knew exactly what was going on. But he acted like he didn't know what was going on. He wanted to draw them out. This is classic. I mean, this is classic shepherding right here. And he says to them, what things? Tell me more. Tell me more. So they did. And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, powerful in work and word before God and all the people. And then they said, oh, you know, they... And we were hoping that he would be the one who was about to redeem Israel. And then he asked them another question. He said to them, O foolish and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning from Moses and from all the prophets, he explained to them clearly in all the scriptures concerning himself. He let them pour out and pour out, and he kept asking more questions to get them to pour out some more, pour out some more, and then he could say something. They said, oh, later they said, oh, didn't our hearts burn within us? And then it says he acted like he was going to go further. I love that. The Lord Jesus acted, pretended. Do you think the Lord should do that? think he should be more honest and transparent It says he acted as if he would go on, and they compelled him to stay. Then he revealed himself, and they turned around and went back to Jerusalem. That's really a good way to recover people. I I love this example. Go down. Can you go down with them? Or are you too sanctified? Too proper? Maybe, maybe a little bit. Point E. I don't even know where I am. Did I read D? Okay, we should give the young people the feeling that we are their good friend, that we sympathize with them, and that we are interested in them and in their affairs. Give them the feeling that we are their good friend. We sympathize with them, interested in them, and their affairs. We all need to have the loving and forgiving heart of the Father God and the shepherding and seeking spirit of our Savior Christ. You know, Luke is great. I just love the book of Luke because it has all of these kind of, you know, the good Samaritan, these ones beat up by the, and stripped and robbed. Then you have this, this case of the prodigal son 
And you have this story of these two guys on the road to Emmaus. All of these showing the heart of God. The heart of the triune God recovering lost sheep. Young ones. Suffering ones. Defeated ones. That good, you know, the, the guy, the good Samaritan. You know, the story of the good Samaritan is just so precious. Here he is left half dead and naked on the side of the road. And the priest goes by and the Levite goes by. And then there was a certain Samaritan. That's you and me. And, and that's the Lord Jesus. That's the heart of him. And he sees them. And he has compassion on him. And he binds up his wounds. He pours in oil and wine. He puts them on his own animal. And he takes them to the inn, which is the church. Because the church is the place to recover hurt people. And then it says... He took care of him. I love that. He took care of him. He brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day, he went to the innkeeper and he gave him two denarii and he said, take care of him. Just like me. Innkeeper, do what I just did. I took care of him. Now you take care of him. These young people need someone to take care of them. And you know what? When the Lord comes, he's going to pay you. If you spent more than two denarii, he's going to pay you back. Don't worry. Pour out. Pour out. In 1996, really near the end of Brother Lee's life in ministry, he called for a special special meetings with the co-workers and the ones who were serving at Living Stream. And he had meetings every Monday for about four or five weeks. Four, I think. I, was, I happened to be there. It was striking. And he released the messages that are published in the book, A Word of Love to the Co-workers, the Elders, and the Loving Seekers of the Lord. And the first two chapters are mainly concerning his concern for the young people's work in the Lord's recovery. And he talks about a certain kind of spirit, a spirit that does not seek the lost sheep, a critical kind of spirit, a judgmental spirit. We talk about people. Somebody has a failure. Everybody knows because everybody talks. And we judge them, we criticize them, maybe put them out. He said we need the loving and forgiving heart of the Father. And the shepherding and seeking spirit of Christ the Son. We need to be just like our Father in going to gain people. When one of our young ones leaves the church... What is our attitude or what is our thought? Maybe we thought, oh, you know, we warned her again and again. We warned her not to do that, not to dress like that, not to go out like that, not to be like that. She didn't take our word. We had that, that kind of attitude. But what about the shepherd? He has a hundred sheep and one of them is lost. He stops everything. 
He stops everything. He leaves the 99 there. And he goes after the one until. We didn't do this, saints. We didn't do this. We didn't go after them. We let them go. He, he went after them. He went after it until. Until is, is a tremendous word. That means he never, never gave up. Then he put it on his shoulder. He came back rejoicing. And then the word says this, that there is more joy in heaven over one repenting sinner than of 99 who had no need of repentance. Wow. Now let me ask you this. What do you think the 99 were thinking when he left them in the wilderness and went after the one? I think they were all so comforted. If something happens to me, he's going to come get me. He's not going to let me go. Right? Don't you think that's a strong and powerful message? And what is the one? What kind of a message does the one get? Oh, he won't let me go. He won't let me go. We need a church life like this, saints. Brother Lee said, the reason, he said, we have lost this spirit, this kind of spirit that goes after the lost sheep, the loving and forgiving heart of the Father and the shepherding and seeking spirit of the Son. We've lost this. And this is the reason for our barrenness. He diagnosed our condition, our situation right on the spot. He said, this is why, after so many years, we didn't get much increase at all. There's something wrong. He said, there is something wrong. It's, it's in the book. You can read it. There's something wrong. And then he gave us the diagnosis that we need this kind of loving and forgiving heart. We have to become the hospital saints, the inn where we take care, take care of them. He said, this kind of spirit is spreading everywhere in the Lord's recovery, on the whole earth. It was going out, and what it was was a kind of judgmental, strict, critical kind of spirit. Well, remember I said at the beginning, this fellowship is not specific to the parents. Parents, you have to raise your kids the best you know how. According to the fellowship that our brother gave us this morning, we have to really do our best. We have to really look to the Lord. We need his mercy so much. But I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the saints, the serving ones, the ones caring for the kids. They have to be like this. We, and that's us, we have to be like this. Amen. So, (laughs) you know, Luke 15, where it has this triune God's pursuing. Chapter 15, verse 1, it starts off like this. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him. 
to hear him. Are you a kind of a person where all the sinners would just gather around you? Because, I don't know, why would they do that? Why would all the tax collectors and sinners... In fact, the Pharisees and the scribes were kind of bothered by that. It says, now all, all the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him to hear him. Boy, they wanted to know what he was going to say. What are you going to say? You know, Matthew, you know, this tax collector, he, he got saved. He got called by the Lord, and then he had a big feast. He invited all his tax collector friends, and the Lord was there with the disciples. And my goodness, I don't know if you've ever been at a, at a feast like that, sitting there with all these tax collectors and sinners. And Matthew, you know why he went there? He went to get one lost sheep. His name was Matthew. He went there. And he could be there. They all considered him to be their good friend. So what was he doing there? Do you think he was just so grieved in his spirit that he just kind of sat there? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Sanctify me. Protect me. Oh, cleanse me. Cleanse my ears. Oh. I don't know what he was doing there. I, I, I just can't get it. But he was. They considered him to be his, their, his good friend. He was known as the friend of sinners. Oh, I hope, I hope we can touch something here this, this evening. If we want to help the young people, we have to have an interest in them. That's what all this is about, having an interest Point one under E, I think I read E, do not classify people because no one can tell what they will become. The, the spirit that God has given us is a spirit of love. Actually, Brother Lee used three words. He said, don't classify them, don't label them, and don't rank them. We do this. We classify them. Oh, he's a good one. He's good material. Uh, maybe not such good material. Uh, oh, he's worldly. He's rebellious. He's too strong. Did you do that? Has this done? Classify. Do you know what happens when you get classified? Maybe you're worldly, a little worldly. You like to be fashionable and and so, oh, Lord Jesus, I don't know if we want to have a home meeting at her house. She's a little, little worldly. They get a label, and you can't get rid of it. No matter what you do, it's stuck on you. We don't label. And we don't classify. All of this fellowship came from Brother Lee out of decades of experience. He was worried about us at the end of his life. He didn't even live a year after these, this word. And he was worried about the recovery and what kind of spirit we had. I, okay, I, I'm going to open up my heart to you. I was right there when this was happening. 
And I was, take, I was taking some responsibility in the young people's work. And he was talking about us. We really desperately went to the Lord to have a change. You know, all the mistakes we made, all the young people we damaged. Oh, how can I face the Lord? Some are not in the recovery today because of the way we handled them. What am I going to do? So we, we really we really desperately looking to the Lord to have a change. We have to have a change. And after about 10 years, I had an opportunity to get together with some of the, uh, the co-workers, uh, the co-working brothers. I was, I was kind of desperate, and I asked them this question based on this fellowship in 96. I won't tell you who was there, but you would agree with me. It was the right ones. And I said, brothers, has this spirit changed? Has the situation improved? Or is there still this kind of atmosphere in our work with the young people? One by one, they said, it's still there. It's still there. Brothers how to get, and sisters, how to get out of this. How to have our whole beings washed with this kind of word. It's too desperate. If we really have some hope that the Lord could do something in Europe, we have to eat this. We have to digest this. We have to become the loving and forgiving heart of the Father and the shepherding and seeking spirit of his Son. Point three, the church is not a police station to arrest people or a law, law court to contemn people, but a loving home, a hospital, and a school. <clears throat> when, you know, point two says the spirit that God has given us is a spirit of love. You know, this is from that verse in Second Timothy. For God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but of love and of power and sober-mindedness. This verse proves to us that God has given us our spirit, our mingled spirit. And it's a spirit of love. It's a spirit of power. It's a spirit of sober-mindedness. It involves the spirit mingled with our soul. Spirit of love means the Lord has saturated our emotion. A spirit of power means he has occupied our will. And a spirit of sober-mindedness means that he's renewed our mind. And then he said, oh, co-workers, they have a spirit of power. But you don't have a spirit of love. Oh, Lord Jesus. Okay, and let's move on. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> Roman 2. Learn to contact the young people. Helping the young brothers and sisters depends not on our ability to give them messages, but on our regular, frequent contacts with them. Remember not to talk about spiritual things at the initial contact with them. Now he's saying, okay, 
You want to get the young people? You want to lead them? Contact them again and again and again. Get to know them. Get to know them. Become their good friend. Not just spiritual. Don't talk to them about, did you read the Bible? Did you, did you pray? But how are you doing? You know, how's your school? Can, can I help? A says, when you contact the young brothers and sisters, do not begin by asking, how many chapters of the Bible have you read today? Have you prayed? Such questions should not be brought up until you've had many contacts with them, maybe even after eight or ten times. Okay, count them off. That means, you know, if you're contacting them once a week, that's two and a half months. I don't know if we would even know what to talk to them about for two and a half months. We have to get into their situation. You know, there was a young brother in, in Anaheim many, many years ago when I was there. And this is really when I was beginning to serve young people. I wish I could tell you his name, but I don't want to because he's still <laughs> doing well. He's almost as old as me. I mean, I was, I was a young person serving young people. I was only like 22 or something, and he was like 17. So he's only like five years. He's over 60 now. But in those days, oh, he was really having a hard time. He was a high school junior, and he was always with his parents. You know, young people always struggle with their parents. They always do. So you just assume this. I mean, this is the case. They... Even they look like they're really well-behaved. They have at least inward turmoil, right? So his was not inward turmoil. It was full-blown outward turmoil. And so I, I took him out to get hot, hot fudge Sundays, hot fudge Sunday, uh, at a nearby restaurant. It's called Alfie's. It's on Euclid Avenue near Lincoln in Anaheim. And we just talk. Just talk. After the meeting, he says, let's go get, a, let's go get an ice cream. So well, he was all up for that. So uh, I don't know how many hot fudge Sundays I bought that kid. And I must have gained about 30 pounds during this time. <laughs> but we were having hot fudge Sundays regularly. And eventually, you know what? I told him, I said, and this, I, you know, I, I don't know if I could say this today to anybody. But I said this to him. I said, you want to go on with the Lord, you just stay with me. Just do what I do. Follow me and you'll be fine. <laughs> so he said, okay. So another hot fudge Sunday and another hot fudge Sunday. Eventually, you know what? He, after a period of time, I asked, invited him to move into my house. And so he lived in my house. He was, Can you imagine that, inviting a high school senior to live in your house with your wife and your two daughters and little girls? And uh, He really became part of, part of our family. Uh, I had an interest in him. I was worried about him. I worried about him. Um, so we, we just talked. We just talked. He would always spill his hot fudge sun, Sunday on himself. This is just kind of a striking thing about it. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but 
it would always slip off his spoon and it'd either go on his shirt or on his arm, you know, or somewhere. It was a mess, you know. And and I would kind of laugh at him and, and joke about, you know, doing this proper. And, and he said, okay, I'm going to take you to get a hot foot Sunday next time. And I won't spill. This time I won't. He wanted to please me, you know. And so we're sitting there. And sure enough, he plops a big old hot, you know, ice cream and chocolate right on his arm and couldn't do it. Anyway, I don't know why I remember that, but very sweet, (laughs) sweet experience. Well, praise the Lord. This brother is still still going on. Actually, he's a grandpa now. (laughs) Amen. Listen to these, these kind of words. Um, point B. Uh, yeah, I read that after eight or ten times. Point C. If you do it prematurely, in other words, talk about spiritual things prematurely, it's easy to cause a negative reaction. If you mess up the whole thing, he may not receive the Lord for his entire lifetime. Again, it indicates that if we are too spiritual and too... They'll write us off just like that. We're not interested in them. We're interested in them being better, improving. And do not stir up his negative feeling by talking to him right away about reading the Bible or praying. You must wait until we have more contact with him and he feels that he likes you and that you also like him. I, uh, I, 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 dissected this sentence again and again. And listen to me. You must wait until... It says you must wait. It's you. It should be you, not we. You must wait until you have more contacts with him and he feels that he likes you and that he feels that you also like him. It's all about him. It's how he feels. It's not about how you feel. Does that make sense? Point F. Once you have touched his feeling and earned his trust, then you can begin to talk about spiritual things. Okay, that's the turning point. Touched his feeling and earned his trust. Okay? Now we come to the third point. Okay, I mentioned there's six practical points. Number one was we have to have an interest in them. Number two, we have to take, a, uh, we have to have contact. We have to learn to contact the young people. And now we come to the third point: emphasizing practicality instead of stressing doctrines. When we help the young people, give them something practical. You know, in the Lord's recovery, we are really involved with the truth. And that's right. That's good. Our our semi-annual trainings, crystallization studies, our holy work for morning revival, our group times, our small groups, everything is involved with the truth. So when we gather the young people together, oftentimes we, we also try to do the same thing with them. We don't realize the best way to contact them is not with just doctrines. 
but with something practical. This is really important, saints. In fact, when Brother Lee was starting the summer schools of the truth, he had a teacher's training, four messages. Two of the messages are dedicated to train us how to convert doctrine to experience because we cannot just emphasize doctrine with the young people. It has to be experiential. It has to be practical. It has to have something to do with their experience. So listen to what he says. If we give them only some doctrines and they come only to listen, there will not be much effect. We know that. The more we speak doctrines, the more the young people become dead, cold, and backsliding. How about that? Dead, cold, and backsliding. Is that the condition of your young people? Maybe we're just too much doctrines. Because young people, point B, have many practical problems, we need to sense their feelings, beginning with these problems. We need to spend some time to study the problems of the young people in their practical living, including problems both before and after their salvation. What are the problems that the young people face today? Can you even imagine? It's changed so much, even in the last five years. Can you even imagine what they're dealing with every single day? What are the problems he said, we need to spend some time to study. Now, again, this is, we're talking about serving those working with the young people. Based upon our studies, when we preach the gospel or speak a word of edification to them, what we speak is practical and is related to the practical matters that we have touched in their lives. You see, if you're a kind of person the loving and forgiving heart of the Father and the seeking and shepherding spirit of the Son. And you're someone who takes the time to have personal contact again and again and again, not to talk about spiritual things, but to find out where they are, what they struggle with, how they're doing. You're going to find out what are the problems that they are facing. They all have problems with their parents. I already said that. They have problems at school. They're trying to make grades. They have pressure on them. Some of them don't even care anymore. Some of them have problems with their friends, their relationships, boyfriend or girlfriend. They have problems with temptations, maybe with drugs or alcohol or something like that. They're all faced with things that are much bigger than most of us ever had to deal with. We have this kind of heart for them. We touch them. We go back and we pray and we seek the Lord. How to help them. How to minister to them. Not react to them. But study their problems. And then the Lord will give us something. The Lord will give us a word. Give us something. Maybe we should just listen. Just listen. Sometimes I thought, Oh, I don't know what to say. I just don't know what to say. 
But then I could say this. Oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so worried about you. I'm so worried about you. I hope, I hope you can get through this. Maybe just that much. They touch something of a heart, of a loving heart that will sustain them for another day, for another, another few days, another week maybe. You see, serving young people may be the most difficult kind of service there is. I know for personal experience, if you give yourself to this, it will touch you to the core of your being. It'll change your disposition. It will transform you to the uttermost. You can never be the same. They get into your heart, and you can't escape. I hope the Lord would raise up many of us. Yes, we're parents, but there's other kids besides our kids. We shouldn't be so consumed with our kids. We could take care of other kids. And then someday someone's going to take care of our kids. We do this in the body, right? We, we love one another's children. And they become our kids. May the Lord do this with us. Well, I'm going to stop here and leave about, well, let's pray with our neighbor for a minute or two and then leave about 20 minutes for any of you that would like to respond. Amen. Let's pray with our neighbor.